Hello from Faith Production Studio. This is Linda. And this is Glenn, and you're listening to Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. Today we finish a series of three discussions about why we seem to have so many people professing to be Christians in our congregations that don't really act like it. As we have looked at this topic this past weeks, we trust folks understand that we're not advocating a works for salvation theology. On the contrary, we feel this is what we need to repent from. We are seeing in our churches so many that don't tithe, still use bad language, so many that put other things before God. Most in our membership go through their lives and never win one soul to Christ. Certainly, we do not believe that these things are things we must do for salvation, but the Bible clearly says these things that result when salvation comes to a soul. With that in mind, we must conclude that most have missed the understanding of what saving faith and real biblical belief are. Intellectual assent to historical facts that we learn about in the Bible is not trust. It's not faith. It's not a life-changing belief. The plan of salvation is not a checklist of things we must do to receive salvation. It is not having an emotional experience, although that may happen. Walking the church aisle at invitation and saying repeated words that are rote, redundant, and not from the heart do nothing for anyone. We are searching the Word in our hearts for ways to prevent this from happening in our own ministry and wish to share what we believe God is revealing to us from the Word and the lives of others who have learned this lesson. Our song today is a lament to the tragedy of those who have good intention and yet miss the mark and are almost persuaded. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded, Christ to receive. Seems now some soul will say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. Oh, wonder come. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. When Paul was on trial before King Agrippa in Acts 26:28, he gave strong witness of his faith. Agrippa responded, You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. He was almost persuaded. Philip Bliss was born in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania in 1838 and died in Ashtabula, Ohio in 1876. His father, Isaac Bliss, was a dedicated Christian who led his family in daily prayers and who was a lover of music. The only education he received was through his father's singing and his mother's teachings. 
the Holy Bible was a great influence on his life. When Philip was 11 years old, he left home to make a living for himself. In 1851, he became an assistant cook in a lumber camp at $9 a month. Two years later, he was pr promoted to log cutter. The following year, he became a sawmill worker. Young Philip remained strong in the Lord among rowdy, laboring men of the camp, although it was not easy. But the spiritual implants of his godly parents were now bearing fruit. He also began to participate in Methodist camp meetings and revival services. At the age of 12, in 1850, he made his first public confession of Christ and joined the Baptist Church of Cherry Flats, Pennsylvania. Between jobs, he attended school. Uncertain as to what vocation he wanted, he just planned to be prepared for any opportunity that might arise. He went to Bedford City, Pennsylvania, and finished the last requirements of his teaching credentials. The next year, Philip was a new schoolmaster at Hartsville, New York. When school was not in session, he was hired out as a summer, for summer work on a farm. In 1857, he met J.G. Towner, who recognized that Bliss had a fine singing voice and assisted him in formal voice training. Towner also made it possible for him to go to a musical convention in Rome, Pennsylvania later that year. There he met William Bradley, Bradbury, a noted composer of gospel music. By the time the convention was over, Bradbury had talked Philip Bliss into surrendering himself to the service of the Lord. The strong influence of these men in his life helped him decide to be a music teacher. While still in his teens, Philip discovered that he had ability to compose music. His first composition was sent to George Root with a strange request, If you think this song is worth anything, I would appreciate having a flute in exchange for it. He received the flute. In 1858, he got a job as a school teacher in Rome, Pennsylvania Academy. It was here he met his future bride, Lucy Young. She was a poet from a musical family and great supporter of his musical talents. She was a member of the Presbyterian Church, which he then joined. In later years, then uh, they were to sing beautiful duets in the service of Christ. Bliss became traveling music teacher, making house calls on horseback during the winter and during the summer attending the Normal Academy of Music in Jalesco, New York. In early 1870, Mr. Bliss was listening to a sermon by Reverend Bardage, a friend of his, in a little church in the east. The preacher closed with the appeal. He, he who is almost persuaded is almost saved, but to be almost saved is to be eternally lost. These words impressed Bliss so deeply that it led him, led him to write this great hymn. Almost Persuaded was published that same year in The Charm, a collection of Sunday school music. 
and quickly found its way into the majority of English Christian hymnals. This song has been used at many an invitation call. Sadly, though, through the ages, many have made the same sad decision as King Agrippa. They have heard the gospel and either rejected it or postponed accepting God's free gift of salvation. Many have said, I will do it someday when they get around to it, and that day never comes. And as Bliss wrote, doom comes at last, almost cannot avail, almost is but to fail, sad, sad, that bitter wail, almost but lost. For twelve years he wrote both words and musics to such hymns as Almost Persuaded, What a Savior, Hold the Fort, Jesus Loves Even Me, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning, Once for All, The Light of the World is Jesus, Whosoever Will, and Wonderful Words of Life. The Blisses moved to Chicago in 1864 when Philip was 26. It was here he began to conduct musical institutes and became widely known as a teacher and a singer. His poems and compositions flowed out with regularity. He collaborated with George Root in the writing and publishing of gospel songs. In the summer of 1865, he went on a two-week concert tour with Mr. Towner. He was paid $100. Amazed that so much money could be made in so short a time, he began to dream dreams. These dreams were short-lived. The following week, a summons appeared at his door, stating that he was drafted for service in the Union Army. Since the war was almost over, the decision was canceled after two weeks, and he was released. He then went on another concert tour, but this one was a failure. However, during the tour, he was offered a position with a Chicago music house, Root and Katie Musical Publishers, at a salary of $150 per month. For the next eight years, between 1865 and 1873, often with his wife by his side, he held musical conventions, singing schools, and sacred concerts under the sponsorship of his employers. He was beginning he was becoming more popular in concert work, and yet he directed his full efforts into evangelical singing. He was, however, writing a number of hymns and Sunday school melodies, and many of these were incorporated into the books, The Trump and The Praise, The Prize. One summer night in 1869, while passing a revival meeting in a church where D.L. Moody was preaching, Mr. Bliss went inside to listen. That night, Mr. Moody was without musical help for the singing, and Mr. Bliss was aware of it. The singing was rather weak. From the audience, Philip attracted Mr. Moody's attention. At the door, Mr. Moody got the particulars about Mr. Bliss quite quickly, and asked him to come to his Sunday evening meetings to help in the singing any time he could. He further urged him to give up his business and become a singing evangelist. Another chance acquaintance came to came with Major Daniel W. Whittle when Mr. Bliss was a substitute song leader in a gospel meeting. 
Impressed with his voice, Mr. Whittle recommended the young man for the position of choir director in the First Congregational Church in Chicago. This was in 1870. In the fall of 1870, Mr. Bliss assumed the additional task of Sunday school superintendent at the Congregational Church, which work lasted for three years until his busy schedule made it impossible for him to continue. During the winter of 1873, Moody again urged him in a letter from Scotland to devote his entire time to evangelistic singing. Mr. Bliss was facing a time of decision. At a prayer meeting, Mr. Bliss placed himself in the disposal of the Lord, and he decided to lay out a fleece. He would join his friend, Major Whittle, at Good Evangelist, a good evangelist in Illinois, to see what would happen. That was in March the 24th through the 26th, 1874. At one of the services, as Mr. Bliss sang, almost persuaded, the Holy Spirit seemed to fill the hall. As he sang, sinners presented themselves for prayer, and many souls were won to Jesus Christ that night. The following afternoon, as they met for prayer, Mr. Bliss made a formal surrender of his life to Jesus Christ. He gave up everything, his musical conventions, his writing of secular songs, his business position, his work at the church, so that he would be free to devote full time to the singing of sacred music and evangelism, in particular to be Mr. Whittle's song evangelist and children's worker. At the same time, Mr. Whittle dedicated his life to full-time evangelism. A gospel team was born. Little did Mr. Bliss know that he only had two and a half years to live. Depending on the Lord to take care of his wife and two children, he joined Whittle in a successful evangelistic career. Mr. Bliss compiled revival songbook for their use in their campaigns and enlisted gospel singers. It was a tremendous success, bringing royalties of $30,000, of which he gave to Wilhoit for the development of the evangelistic efforts. Another source uh, men, men, mentions 60000 was made and given to charities. Mr. Bliss spent the Christmas holidays with his mother and sister at Tawanda and Rome, Pennsylvania, and made plans to return to Chicago for work with Moody in January. A telegram, however, arrived asking him to return sooner in order to take part in meetings and advertised for the Sunday following Christmas. He wired a message, tickets for Chicago via Buffalo and Lakeshore Railroad. Baggage checked through. Shall be in Chicago Friday night. God bless you all forever. He decided to leave his two little children, Philip Paul, aged one, and George, aged four, with his mother. Then the day that was to stun Christians' world arrived, December 29th in 1876. The train, the Pacific Express, was struggling along a blinding snowstorm and was about three hours short uh, late on Friday afternoon. 
eleven coaches pulled by two engines, was creeping through the huge drifts, drifts, approaching Ohio, passing over the trussle bridge that was spanning a river. The first engine reached solid ground on the other side, but everything else plummeted 75 feet into the ravine below, into the icy waters. Later, it was determined that floodwaters had wrecked the bridge. Five minutes after the train fell, fire broke out. Fanned by gale-like winds, the wooden coaches were ablaze. Mr. Bliss succeeded in pulling himself and crawling to safety through a window. Finding his wife was pinned under the ironwork of the seats, he returned into the car and bravely remained at her side trying to pull her out as the flames took their toll. All that was remained was a charred mess. No trace of their bodies was ever discovered. For days it was not known who were among the dead, as there had been no passenger list. It was tabulated that out of 160 passengers, there were only 14 survivors. Later, officials said 92 died. Mr. Blitz trunk reached Chicago safely. When it was opened, it was found that the last song he had written before his death refers to the hymn he knows was written by Mary G. Bernard. Philip Bliss added the chorus and composed the music. Begin as follows. I know not what awaits me. God kindly veils my eyes. Almost persuaded now to believe, almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. The wonderful grace of God is mentioned dozens of times in his word. It is by his grace, not by our good works, that we're saved, as we read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it, is grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. We find that in Ephesians 1, 7. However, though God in great grace can reach down and save even the worst of sinners, His grace is not extended forever to those who reject it. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The day of grace will come to an end, and certain judgment will follow. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. That's why the Bible makes an urgent plea for sinners to turn to Christ now and be saved. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. 
Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Although Philip Bliss died at age of 38, his life bears the important the imprint of one who was busy using his talents while he could. He composed 132 hymns and about 38 hymn tunes. He published six volumes of hymns, roughly one each day of the years preceding his death. Biblical evangelism is bringing sinners to wholehearted faith in Jesus Christ, not an almost persuaded evangelism. In Acts eight thirty six through 37 we see, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see, salvation is not a prayer. It's a personal relationship with God in Christ. And it's and this is an eternal life relationship that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Biblical evangelism urges sinners to call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Salvation is described as confessing the Lord Jesus with the mouth, believing from the heart that God has raised him from the dead and calling on him. To say that a person can receive Christ as Savior and not as Lord, has no biblical support. Jesus is Lord, and every soul will bow to him as Lord, either in salvation or in judgment. To believe on Christ savingly, to confess him, to believe unto righteousness, to call upon him, requires that the individual understand and believe the gospel that Paul preached in Romans 1-3. through Man's totally condemned condition before a holy God and his inability to save himself by good works and law-keeping and Christ's work of atonement for man's behalf on the cross. Plowing the soil has been traded for quick salesmanship programs. In the 1970s, the practice of evangelism changed from a biblical concept of plowing the soil of a sinner's heart with the law to prepare it for salvation for quick salesmanship program. When we refer to plowing the soil, we're referring to sowing the seeds of the gospel, carefully explaining it, using the law to show the sinner's plight and praying over it and patiently waiting for the fruit that comes only by the God's Spirit. In God's time, the seed germinates and it takes root we also stop looking for the evidence of salvation in the life of new converts. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. It's not something that just happens in a Sunday school service. But this careful, passionate preparation has done away with, with, within the quick prayerism program. 
How can we say they are saved when there is no evidence of it in their lives? Pastors became agitated and strongly countered that we have no right to judge the salvation of people who are making professions through ministry. You cannot know who is saved and who is not. The idea that you cannot tell if someone is saved is heresy. Heresy. It is possible, of course, for a person to show false signs of salvation and to deceive people as Judas did. And we are not saying that a genuinely saved person will suddenly become sinlessly perfect or that every true believer is equally zealous to serve Christ or that a saved person immediately makes Jesus Lord of his entire life. But the Bible is clear that if someone is genuinely saved, there will definitely be evidence in his or her life. I don't know of one example of conversion in the New Testament that did not result in a dramatically changed life. Do you? When the doctrine of repentance was redefined by churches who formerly taught clear doctrine of repentance as a turning and surrendering, a change of mind that results in a change of life, repentance and faith as two different things. As Paul taught, repentance and faith become one thing. Repentance becomes becomes faith, reading in Acts 20, 21. But declare first those things in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works benefiting repentance. Testifying to Jews and also to Greek repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of a turning to God from sin and false religion, repentance became a turning from unbelief to belief. Instead of repentance as something that always produces evidence, repentance became something that might not be seen. In Acts 26.20 we read, But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do the works befitting repentance. A traditional biblical understanding of repentance does not allow man to claim that, to claim that thousands of sinners are being saved when most of them show no evidence of regeneration. A traditional Bible understanding of repentance does not allow a man to count a mere sinner as a sinner's prayer as salvation. It's one thing to say that a hundred or a thousand people prayed. It's another thing, thing to say that all these peoples were saved and gave themselves assurance of salvation. If they are saved, they will be changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one 
that nameth the Lord of Christ depart from iniquity. Also Hebrews 6, 9. But beloved, we are depart from iniquity. Uh, beloved, we are persuaded better things for you. And these things are accompanying salvation. Though we thus speak. Also 1 John 2, 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not the commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The Bible warns that profession of salvation is not the same as possession. Titus 1.16 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny them, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. About the same time, the doctrine of eternal security was reinterpreted. The biblical doctrine of eternal security was divorced from a life-changing salvation experience. Consider the following passages carefully. John ten twenty-seven through 30 My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Christ's promise of eternal life is not for everyone who prays a sinner's prayer. It is for those who hear his voice and follow him. That is evidence, and eternal security is never divorced from a life-changing, born-again experience. We read it in 1 John 3, 2-3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Verse 2 describes eternal security, and verse 3 describes the evidence of the born-again child of God who has eternal security. First Colossians 15, 1-2, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. Colossians 1, 21-23, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Hebrews 6, 8-11 says, But if it bears thorns it, it, and briars, it's rejected, and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we, were conf we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that are accompanying salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, 
which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews 10, 28-39 says, Now, the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, by soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. But in the 1970s, eternal security was divorced from a change of life and the evidence of an obedient walk. The typical soul-willing program aimed to lead someone in a sinner's prayer and then give him assurance of salvation immediately, even if there was no evidence that the person was even sincere in the prayer, even if the person would not so much as invite the soul winner into his house. Granting assurance of salvation is the work of the Spirit of God. In Romans 8.16 we read, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And in Galatians 4.6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. See also 1 John 5.10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. We can show the individual where assurance is found, which is in the Word of God, but we can't give the assurance. The Lord knows those are His, and the believer's part is to demonstrate His salvation by departing from iniquity. Second Titus 2.19 reads, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone whose name, the names of Christ, depart from iniquity. Another thing that happened in the practice of evangelism in the 70s was the focus on child evangelism. A huge emphasis was placed on winning little children to Christ and baptizing them. The Vacation Bible School program was geared toward this. In the Southern Baptist Convention, there was a 96% growth rate from 1970 to 2010 in baptisms of preschoolers. Consider the statistics for 2013. A full 60% of SBC churches baptized zero youth between ages of 12 and 17, and 80% baptized zero or just one young adult ages 18 through 29. But there was an explosion in the baptisms of five and under. Reference the annual church profile 2013. That is almost Baptist infant baptism. A child can believe on Jesus Christ savingly, but it is doubtful that a preschooler can do this. We know that there are no small children baptized on the day of Pentecost because all 3,000 who were baptized continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship 
and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Acts 2.42 And that is not a description of a five-year-old child. I believe under this type of ministry and philosophy, the fruit was wretched. It plays a major role in building mixed multitude churches, meaning churches whose membership has a large percentage of unregenerate Christians. The vast majority of the children that got saved at a young age either fell away to the world in adolescence or stayed in the church as lukewarm, worldly Christian. Shallow, unscriptural, soul-willing, and neglect of repentance have produced incredibly weak churches. It has produced churches that are mixed multitudes instead of churches of disciples. If professing Christians are rebels against God's word and refuse to obey the preaching and refuse to be faithful, refuse to separate from the world, or it's subordinate to pastor authority, it is probably because they aren't saved. As we have seen, the Bible is very clear on this point. Let's look at the example in John eight forty seven, where it says, He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. John, uh, then in John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And finally in Titus, Titus 1, 16, They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. In 1 John 2, 3-4, is the test of knowing Him. Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Many churches are far too careless about salvation. They pronounce people, including children, saved on a mere profession without regard for any biblical evidence. In Acts 2, 41 and 42, we see, Then they gladly received the word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. There are many that have been coming to the church maybe for years and never realized the reason that their lives have never produced fruit of a Christian. Church life and their life elsewhere is totally different. Maybe you hardly ever read your Bible and you don't really enjoy going to church all that much. You feel out of place there. Perhaps you've never surrendered your life to Christ for real, for real. Do you feel unsettled in this matter of a relationship with Jesus? Is God calling you away from something to Himself? Maybe it's time for you to make a real decision for Christ. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has been waking a realization in your heart and mind that you never made a real commitment to Christ.
Now is the time to respond to God's call on your life. It's God's perfect will that none should perish. God will not tarry forever. When he is dealing with you, now is the time to respond. Turn to him today. It is the appointed time. Now let's listen to Forgive and Do Almost Persuaded. Oh, 
Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We trust it was a blessing to you. It makes our day when we hear someone that was blessed by our podcast for music. We'd love to get an email from you. Just send it to glenn.dawson at glenn.dawsonea.com. That's G-L-E-N-N dot Dawson at Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, DawsonEA.com. You can find all our information on our website at www.glendawsonea.com. In addition to our email, you can find information about our Facebook page and Twitter information. You can also find links to our index of all our podcasts and links to all our music on YouTube. We hope you will enjoy those. And remember now, we love y'all. God be with you. And bye for now.